Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. Glad you're with us today as we are doing our podcast radio show yes sir slash slash my uh, co-host and myself are both financial advisors certified financial planner chartered financial consultant we've been doing this program for 28 years a long time glad to be continuing to do it and love taking your questions answering your your calls things you bring to us and we always talk about what's going on in the news and that sort of thing in the in the world and so um scott and i were talking before the program about what has happened in Maui and how terrible. Which is unbelievable. It's, 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 your heart breaks for, for, especially the. And we're on the West Coast. So if you're in the West Coast and you have, most families have been to Hawaii at some point in time, right? And a lot of professionals, it's just like the place to go. And Maui, particularly. And yeah, there's direct flights. We're in the Sacramento region. There's Southwest flies direct to Maui, so yes, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to get there. Inexpensive. Yeah, and and there's inexpensive options on that's correct. Many parts of of Hawaii. So a lot of people in the West. You're Coast. not staying at the Four Seasons, but I've been to Lahaina a couple times. A beautiful little mm. town. It reminds me a, a lot of uh, the small towns on uh, in Northern California on the ocean. Just kind of the makeup, kind of chill, um, yeah. old town, but. You know, we're no stranger to fires here in Northern California, especially uh, Scott and I both live in the first foothills of the Sierra Nevadas. So if you saw anything last year about the Caldor fire that whipped through uh, the Sierra Nevadas and up into yeah. the Tahoe region. But it, it brought up a conversation Scott and I were talking incidentally, about. Incidentally, I, I was driving home from um, Lake Tahoe last weekend and I took a extended route because there was a crash on the main highway. And I could, I mean... I could not believe the size of that fire that ripped through Northern California last year because I was so many miles away from the normal highway. I it was just f- phenomenal how large. Yeah, it was. Uh, miles and miles and miles. Yeah, yeah uh, wide. But most of the California forests, as other parts of forests that are burned, have not burned in the last hundred years. Yes, you go the last several hundred years, pretty much all of it is burned. Right, so. There's still there's still danger out there. So whether it's here or I mean, Hawaii, who would have expected? Well, if you read the book, the, the, there's a book called The Big Burn, and then Ken Burns did a series on The Big Burn, and it's the history of, of forest fires in the United States and actually what why we got to where we're at today. A fascinating uh, book. Um, we're not here to talk about climate change or to solve. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we're going to talk about the economic impacts. Yeah. And so for the average consumer, if you're in one of those zones. I saw it last year. My insurance premiums on my home, my fire uh, insurance, uh, went up by three times. And I went and shopped it, and I ended up with State Farm, um, and they were the least expensive. Now, State Farm quit writing insurance in the state of California uh, on homeowner's insurance. They still uh, kept policies in place, but they quit. It's talking to a farmer, number of agencies, I won't say the names of the insurance companies, where they've sought – Doing it, but 
And it's not just fire-prone areas, hurricane areas. In just homeowners insurance in general, uh, these these companies are like, whoa, we're, we've got quite a bit of losses. Is this a business we want to be in? And as the marketplace shrinks, the prices will go up. But don't be afraid to to shop your coverage and don't be afraid to actually ask the insurance company, especially if you have a above-average-priced home in your area, to send a someone over from the insurance company to actually assess the property itself to make sure that you've got full coverage on it. Yeah, and and take a higher deductible if you can. That's right. If you have a mortgage, sometimes the mortgage uh, companies will limit the size of the deductible. But if you don't have a mortgage, take a 5000 10000 15000 whatever amount of deductible that you think that you look, can self I personally for. have a $50,000 deductible. And the reason I have a large deductible is when this was... If anyone's had a claim on their house, you know what happens to your homeowner's insurance, right? It goes up quite dramatically. So I had a I had a small water leak, did some damage. I think it was a hose from the dishwasher or something. Damaged the wood floors, so I ended up having replacing the wood floors. Or whatever. It wasn't really wasn't that expensive of, of a of a repair relative, but my insurance premiums went up to the point where, like within three years, I pay I could have paid out of pocket for. Whatever the, I forget the dollar amount. So the deductible does what for you? You self-insure the first bit of the claim. I'm not gonna. I don't want to claim against my homeowner's insurance, right? You're 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 using it for catastrophic. Catastrophic. Whether it's something uh, my house itself burns or whatever, or there's a liability. That's right. Which we should also have umbrella insurance. Let's talk a little bit about that because that's exciting stuff. Topic. Well. It's important. Absolutely, it's important. Depending upon your umbrella policy should should coincide with your net worth. Which means the higher your net worth. If your net worth's a million bucks, you should have at least a million dollars of umbrella policy. If your net worth is $10 million, $10 million. After $10 million, you could start to scale down a little bit because the likelihood of you receiving claims greater than that uh, start to diminish depending upon what your occupation is. Um don't be afraid to shop your insurance. Um, don't be afraid to actually go out and get quotes. Uh, in fact, like I said, I did it last year. I normally shop mine every four to five years, unless there's a significant increase in the rates. So. I've had the same um, agency for twenty years. Did they shop it? They shop. Well, supposedly. That's what. That's <laughs> what. <laughs> supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> Yes, yes, supposedly, supposedly. Anyway, yeah. Well, but, um, let's let's pray. That it's for not going it, to the people oh, in Hawaii. Man, it's Hawaii. still they're not all rich people either. No, no, not at all. I mean, they're not rich people. There are some rich people. Most are in Lahaina. Most are hardworking people that yeah. are. They survive off the tourists that come. Yes, for the t-shirt shops and the restaurants that were, once were there, longies and chemos yeah. and. What are they? Longies. You certainly have been to Longies and Lahaina. Been there forever. I have not. Chemos on the water there. We Chemos. pack. We pack lunches when we we travel. I have not. Been. We do not pack lunches. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we spent Thanksgiving at Chemos one year with our family. Oh, very nice. Wasn't a fancy restaurant. Wouldn't none of these are fancy restaurants. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're Hawaiian. Yeah. yeah anyway, so. let's go. Uh, you want to take some calls? Yeah. Let's, uh, if you want to join our program, 
questions at moneymatters.com will get you on the program. Or you can send an email to questions at moneymatters.com. Let's start off in Iowa with Dan. Dan, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I, the only time I hear about uh, uh, Iowa because uh, didn't you guys just have the big political fair or whatever it was last weekend? Yeah, with the Iowa State Fair, and uh, <laughs> we have uh, a million plus visitors per how many in the ten days, and how many the, all the political figures show up all the time. How many visitors? Oh, a million two is an average year for us. Wow! Wow! It's impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's a once in a lifetime thing. So if you haven't been there, you got to get there once. California State Fair just finished, <laughs> and they had six hundred thousand that uh, attended over their run. Okay. Yeah, no, this is a big deal for our small state of yeah. three million plus people. Yeah, that is a big deal. What can we do for you? Yeah, we have an extra two fifty that we're going to have to invest in the next three to six months from three house flips that we should close on in thirty to one hundred and twenty days. Um, we have rental real estate have had for 45 plus years and we have about 700,000 and a very highly mixed and I would term probably for our age, somewhat aggressive, uh, group of stocks, no, no mutual funds. Are you Ranging taking in, are you, you take any income from that account? Nothing. No, we have three pensions, two social securities and one state pension. And essentially we live on that. We have. Maybe $2,000 we take from that to do funding of our vehicle expenses, leases, and purchases. And that's about it. We don't travel. Um, I have no desire to relocate at this point in time to any other state. And how are you managing? Looking if we should expand on the portfolio or do some more real estate. How are you managing the equities? Well, Honestly, it's self-managed at this point in time. We um, we probably don't do as good a job as we should, because at one point in time in late 2020, we we're probably close to 850. We dropped down to about 550, and now we've recovered to about 700. We we don't buy and sell per se. We we've sold very little. We mostly just buy. And is that bad? I mean, no one likes seeing a decline, but I mean. Every asset class goes through its cycles, right? Just like your real estate yeah. over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, we've had real estate investments for how almost many, 50 years and how many, market investments for almost 50 years. And, and why individual equities versus uh, index funds or ETFs? Well, we were into mutual funds, and we have some index funds inside of that group. So of that 700, probably 150 is indexed funds, and there are probably another 100 in ETFs and the rest are individual stocks. And how many rentals do you own? There are uh, 13 houses with uh, 20 doors. And how much is that? If you were to sell all of it today, uh, how much would that sell for? Yeah, on a bad day, probably 1.8. On a good day, probably 2.2. Our housing price cost, whatever you want to call it in Iowa, is way lower than East Coast, South Coast, West Coast. (laughs) And and uh, and this 250. Any, Any debt on these properties? Well, the three that we're selling, we have construction debt, so that two fifty would be net of all debt on those three we're selling. And these, and you can't uh, do a tax free exchange on these. Well, we've talked about that. We've looked at ten thirty ones, and then of course you have a timing matter. But then I discovered there's another product called a seven twenty one, which uh, we can just ten thirty one into a seven twenty one, 
which invest in a portfolio of certain things, and then we don't then we get away from the timing thing. Yes, uh, I want I'm going to caution you. So this is where you actually do a tax free exchange into an equity portfolio, and you you choose a trustee. This is how it was described to you, um, and that th- that way you don't have to pay any gains. Is that how it was described to you? Well, it's what I read. So I read first on the IRS website, and then I've done some other researching, and no one's called me on this because I have made no contacts on any on any options to look at 721s with any companies. All right. Well, um, you, it, it just it would be a back not a backdoor. It it would be a last resort method. Okay. To avoid taxes, let me say it like How that. old are you, Dan? Oh, wow. I just had a birthday yesterday. So I'm 39. That's not true. I'm 73. <laughs> and um, you married? Yep. Married oh. 51, 52 years. Nice. Yep. How old is your spouse then? Uh, we'll be 73 in October. Well, right. I don't know if the 721 uh, will work for you. Uh, going, You know, I don't know. In, I'm going to defer you to a, a tax. Here's my, my view of this. I don't see any reason in the world. And by the way, you're not overweighted in equities. I would make the argument that you're underweighted in equities. I feel like that sometimes. Well, you're living off your. Yeah. Let's just say because you're not living off any of this income. So no. do, you have, do you have children? No. Three boys with family. Okay. okay. And it's the plan for the, the kids to inherit the money when you guys pass? Well, if they behave, yes. If they don't, I'll just give it to a church. <laughs> so he, here's here's how here's how I'll tell you how I look at it myself with my own portfolio, and I look at it with clients' portfolios. If you have real estate in your portfolio and it's debt free, which means it's not levered, and sure. it produces income, which these all do, you can look at that as a fixed income side of the portfolio with chance of capital appreciation. Right. Well, it's ironic you say that because back 50 years ago when we first started on this pathway, uh, that's exactly what I did. I've never bought a bond in my life, and I figured this was my bond portfolio with appreciation options. Y- yes. And then my wife did deferred. Uh, what did she do? So she was a public school teacher, and we did um, tax sheltered annuities, but okay. not into the annuity. We did it into yeah. mutual funds. And so how much yeah. do you have in uh, retirement accounts? Is that is that that seven hundred? Is that inclusive yeah, so, of those? No, that seven hundred is retirement accounts. We've converted about seventy five percent of that to Roth so far. And how old are you? Seventy three. Seventy three. Okay. So here's the way you can look at it. And by the way, there is a difference. And you, I'm assuming you still have cash reserves somewhere. Yeah, we have in the middle five figures. Okay. Okay. So you know you can you can view real estate. If it's not levered, very similar to that of the bond. Obviously, it takes a lot more work. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, sure. Bonds very rarely call you and tell you something's broken and, or right. that you need to write a check into it or that it's empty and it won't uh, be paying any sort of uh, interest payment for months and months. But in a general scope, you can actually view it as that way. So if we put your, you said your real estate was valued between your investable real estate, not your primary residence. Was a couple inve- million dollars. Right. Was, yeah, yeah 1.8 to 2.2. So we're going to take the medium. So $2 million and $700,000 in equities. If you put the 250 into 
uh, equities, you you would still be considered a relatively conservative port- portfolio with a third equities and two thirds. And you, just yeah. because you're just because you're 73, I know I've read things. You take 100 minus your age. There's all kinds of different rules of thumb. As you get older, you're supposed to have less in equities. But look, I look at your situation. These odds are these are dollars you're not going to spend in your lifetime. Probably not. Right. Probably yeah. not. So your time horizon is very long. So you can afford to be in things that fluctuate in value, whether that's real estate or stock, right? You can be in, afford it. So, I mean, from an, the, if it were me, from an investment standard, I, I'd put it in stocks. And I would. It's put funny. It. I, the other, I was driving the other day, and th- there's this this person in our industry. He's been a bit of a coach to financial advisors, and he's he's a little theatrical in the way he produces talks. But he, I remember I, I heard a, a talk. He talked about how he I love equities. His whole thing was I love equities. And I was driving the other day, and I thought to myself, I don't really love investments per se, but I, I do. I'm, I, there's something about owning companies. It's so passive, and the returns over a long period of time are so great. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I started in the industry in 1990. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was roughly 2,600. It's 34,000 or whatever it is today, right? It just a multiple increase. I suspect over the next 30 years, we're going to see something similar. And if something happens over the next 30 years where we don't have rising stock prices, meaning our companies in the United States are not increasing in values, well, we've got all kinds of other problems. <laughs> I mean, frankly. Um, but I would expect, I would expect your, over a 30-year period, your equities will outperform your real estate. Yeah, I think that's historically accurate for sure. That's, and I was thinking about maybe doing something in what term I think they call it the dividend aristocrat group. Yeah, I'm not familiar with high, them. High paying dividend. Oh, yeah, no, don't you don't do that. that. No, don't do that. Don't you don't do need that. that. You don't, yeah, no, no, no. Don't 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 okay, play so that go game. For, go for more you growth. Yeah, I would buy you the, don't need the income. You want to get you want something that that tax efficient. Yeah, that's what you want. Okay, we can do more index. Well, you could do even direct index. Or direct index, maybe. Which would actually even be better for you, which is even more tax. Direct indexing is even more tax efficient than indexing. And it allows you more control. Especially especially if you mentioned about giving. If if you give money now, you can cherry pick which stocks have done the best, give those, and you can turn around the next day and repurpose them in your portfolio. Yeah. Which is why yeah, you a, want to use direct indexing. So, okay. even abs- your situation, that's what I would do. So, you know, so, and I think a bigger issue here. Well, let me finish. Pat, oh, then. I, I, the, I was looking at some real estate when the broker said to me, he said, "Well, I would never buy a stock. Stocks are too dangerous." And I said, "An asset is an asset, right?" Mm-hmm. And because you're in real estate, you think real estate's the greatest. Look, I'm in the equity markets. We deal with it, but it's an asset. It doesn't. And by the way, the asset doesn't know you own it. So don't fall in love with any sort of a story around an asset. But what we do know is that fixed income in real estate, as long as it's not levered, has a tendency to be a little bit more stable over time in a well-diversified real estate portfolio than equities. But over the long term, equities, you would expect to give you a higher rate of return. What's the cost of the higher rate of return? The fluctuation. Your 850 account goes down to five something, and now it's only at 700. But you don't care because this money isn't invested for you. It's invested for your kids if, if they treat you well or a charity, <laughs> is what you said. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and our equity, I'm sorry, our real estate's not 100% paid for. We're probably 
leverage left on that. But, but the our rates, rates are probably are like so 3. low. 3.5 yeah. to yeah, 4.75 fixed, yeah. and I don't want to pay those. That's down, right. Really. That's right. No, That's you right. can. No, you'd, you'd be foolish to it because you can put your money in I treasury mean, we're down bills. Down to the road of like three to five years, and we're done. That's yeah. right. That's right. You can put your money in treasury bills and yeah. have a uh, arbitrage off that. So day. go equities. I think though, Dan, the one okay. thing for you and your wife to, to to consider really is you've got what, three million bucks saved up. Um, not counting your primary residence, you're not gonna, you're not spending any of this stuff now, barely any of it. You're not gonna spend it in your lifetime. I think at this point in, in your life is like, what are these dollars for? And you could, we can grow the three million to six million to seven, eight million, so you pass away and your kids get a big windfall. Or you can say, hey, what is, what should our strategy be the next several years? Whether it's gifting some to your kids a little bit now to see how they deal with it. Or it's involved in some nonprofit or your church or something along those lines. Just something to something to consider. So appreciate the call. Let's continue on now in New Jersey. Talk with Barbara. Barbara, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's a pleasure to speak to oh. the dynamic duo. Oh, the dynamic duo. Thank you. <laughs> We've been doing this long enough that we used to be called the boys, but that's been oh, a long time ago. Well, thank you so much for taking my call. I appreciate it. Um, I'm calling from northern New Jersey, a bedroom community of Manhattan. My husband is 73. I am 67. Um, I just feel like this whole retirement picture has just been, you know, one thing I planned for. And then when I finally get to that age, it seems like all the rules have changed. And I was just looking for some clarity if I possibly could. Well, people's views of retirement has changed too dramatically, even in the last 20 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, both my husband and I worked for nonprofits and we kind of did it because we were thinking, you know what, we really loved what we did and we were guaranteed a pension and a lot of things like that. And then all of a sudden the pension went to the PBGC. It kind of went belly up and um which is fine we both started taking it at 65 and it has been i have to tell you it's been in our checking account the first of the oh, month oh yeah it'll continue it, you know it kind of made me nervous though because when they told us you know we all had to watch this little film and all of a sudden you see bear stearns go bouncing across the screen and then you see lehman brothers and then you see eastern airlines and it's like i don't want to be a member of this club but all of a sudden we are so, but the pension benefit guarantee corporations, all companies. So the video was the un, the companies that were unhealthy that blew up. Correct. <laughs> the majority of companies out there are healthy, and they contribute premiums to the PBGC as well, right? So this is it's funded through uh, 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 premiums paid by companies that have pensions. And, and where this is a really big issue is if your pension is a high dollar amount. And you retire earlier. And so we saw this a lot with airline pilots. Right. Um, in fact, actually, later on in the show, we're actually going to interview someone, That's right. yeah. <laughs> an airline pilot. Um, so were your pensions discounted when they went to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp? No, I seriously doubt rest? that. I doubt it, actually, too. I, I was right at the top, but I did not get anything taken away from mine. Perfect. Because I had been with the company about 30 years. My husband was lower, um, so he was only there ten. But like I said, they've been very good about and it. But you're it, it perfect. Was something you kind of don't. You just kind of. At least I didn't really think about that. So it was like, okay, well, this is great. I would feel um, better about having a pension coming from PBGC than many companies out there. I certainly would. You're probably no, right. seriously, I wouldn't worry about it. Yes, I I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, yes. 
I mean, it's the government, government all the depositors at the Silicon Valley Bank, they were happy as heck when the FDIC walked in there and said, <laughs> hey, you're all good. You're <laughs> anyway, right. what's your question for us? You're right. Well, anyway, so we, we've been pretty, you know, we've been pretty, um, you know, frugal people. And, and all of a sudden now, my husband turned 73, born in 1950. He's taking his RMD, um, Social Security. He's got his little pension, as I have my pension, <clears throat> have not taken Social Security yet. We have this this surplus now of money, and I'm really not sure what to do with it. Every time you want to do one thing, it's almost like you set off a whole chain of other events. And it's sort of like some people are saying, well, you know, just put in tax-free bonds. You're not going to mess up your IRMA. You're not going to mess up this or that. Um, you won't get taxed twice on it. Um, we have, you know, a healthy portfolio of stocks, basically tech stocks that I kind of have done you know, with with some of the um, the apples and the Amazons, and even now the uh, Nvidia's of the world, which have been healthy. But again, we don't really need this money, and I I don't really know what to do with the RMDs. Every time we kind of get, you know, we have to take you it. You guys out. have children? Uh, we don't have children. Wonderful nieces and nephews, and a couple charities that we're looking into. How much investable assets do you have in your IRAs or brokerage accounts? Um, the IRIS, let's see, um, there's, there's the 403Bs and then there's also, um, traditional IRIS. We were, when the Roths came out, we never converted. We probably should have. I have probably about 2 million and my husband probably has about two and a half million. And then we have brokerage accounts of about 7 million. You guys did pretty well, but you obviously frugal savers. Very frugal. You work for nonprofits. You know, so you were, your, your pay wasn't, you probably could earn more in the private sector. And uh, you guys was, have been great I, savers. But both of us work for hospitals, and yeah. I had to do a lot of the finances. So I had to learn a lot about financial products and things, and I kind of applied some of it to ourselves. Well, you're, you're right, but we were very frugal as well. Barbara, we're taking a quick break. We'll be right back. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. All worth money matters back with you. We're talking with Barbara. And so Barbara and her husband out of Northern. Let's just assume most people have already been listening. Okay. Or <laughs> go most, listen to the most, podcast. Yeah, most listen people to listen to the, the podcast. podcast. All right. Let's go listen. So $4.5 million in IRAs and $7 million in brokerage accounts. Um, and I assume your will or your trust is up to date. Yes. Yes, it, it is. But again, I'm looking for charities right now because I, I, I just never thought we would have as much as, as this is. I'm not sure really what to do with some of it. So well, I really am looking for some charities as well. So your RMD should go to charity. Okay. Um, that, that I would think, I mean, so if you're charitably inclined, this could be a really wonderful season for you guys. You've okay. got more assets than you thought you were going to have when you were young. You're probably young and broke like most people when they get together, right? You're in a, t yes. you're, Right. Now you've got, Very much here so. you are um, in retirement. You've got more cash flow than you know what to do with. The required minimum distributions. You're not spending those things. You've got some charitable inclin inclinations. Can I share a story? Yeah. This is, this is almost carbon copy of clients that I actually work with today. Um, uh, worked for a university. Um, both of them worked for uh governmental agencies D don't spend much money um go on vacations and they're like 
they're like, oh, it was the most beautiful vacation. We stayed in the Bahamas, but we stayed in one of these metal uh, old uh, shipping containers that had been converted into a room. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're like, all right. <laughs> Right. And, and, and plenty of money, uh, most of it them theirs and some of it inherited. Um, and we sat down and had this conversation, which is, and no children as well, uh, almost carbon copy. And, and about six years ago, we sat down and said, look, w- let's recognize that this money will never be spent and that actually spending it will probably make you uncomfortable because it is going to require you to live a lifestyle uh, in order to make a significant debt in here that you probably would not wear well. You're not going to drive, a, right? You're not going to drive around That's in a Mer- Mercedes-Benz no, no, no. AMG, right? Uh, your husband isn't going to come home with a red lifted pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> right? I doubt that. So, so the, the conversation we sat down, and, and, and you might need an advisor to kind of, a more seasoned advisor to walk you through this, which was, look, the money you... We, we need to, we're past the idea of actually just accumulating the money. Now we have to decide where this money is going to go. And is it going to support your morals and values in the places it goes? And you have a choice. You can either make some of these gifts along the way while you're alive, or you can wait till you pass away and then it, it all goes in. You don't have, you're not there to witness what happens or, and or, to take part in it. Or it goes to your nieces and nephews. Uh, or, or whoever's named in your your trust and may or may not improve their life. That's true too. And right? I like the idea of the warm hand. I know you had mentioned that before. Warm hand, better from a warm hand than a cold heart. Yeah. So there, you need to you need to design a giving giving strategy. The RMDs is the easiest. You were worried about the RMDs. That pick your favorite charity and just have the RMDs go there. The rest of the portfolio needs a giving strategy. Yeah, and you might choose to move someone to a, a donor-advised fund today. Where Think of it like a, it's like a foundation without having all the IRS filings and the public uh, seeing exactly what you have. They're really simple to set up. I've got one, Pat, you've got one. Yeah. Many um, of my clients have them. Yeah, yeah. They're easy to use, and that's where you take fund. the highly appreciated assets in your brokerage account, and you would move those over, and then you can dole them out to charities as you wish. Um, you, you, this could be a really blessing for you. This is, okay. this is past the guys on don't the radio. Set up a, don't set up a family foundation because oh. the then it's public. Then everyone's after your money. Everyone knows exactly what's in there. Oh, I said on nonprofits, we would get lists oh, of yeah, all the yeah. family foundations in no, our geography. Don't do, that. don't do that. You want it to okay. be, so a donor advice fund, but it's, there has to be kind of a strategy or, you know, are you, are you like, this you can make a real difference. The like, fam- like the- my, my wife and I have been heavily involved in a in a organization in Folsom, California, right a part of our community, that um they take they're mostly home women that are either homeless or have been homeless with kids. It's a two-year program in-house. They they take these families and these women are for the most part rehabilitated. And then they've got this support structure that when they graduate from the program, there's six other women in the community that come alongside them and, and are their support. And so my wife and I made a decision years ago, like, let's get deeper involved in this and have a significant impact. And it's something 
we've really enjoyed as an example. That's great. Scott, my clients have set up education programs in Africa um, for young women. That was their thing, right? And you don't have to set it up. Look, look, if you have, if you look out in the world and you say there is a need, there is a qualified, bona fide charity out there that is already in that space. I promise you. And there's right. good charities and they're not so good charities. That's right? where so, that's where the, the homework is taken there. The but, homework, but, and there's a lot of people with huge hearts, but they're not right. always effective. Right? Yes. So, true. So true. you've got to kind of view the charities that you're giving to. You're going to ask, okay, show me your returns. And they're like, what are my right. returns? You're like, for every dollar, like Scott, this charity that helps these women, you know how many they graduate every year and what their budget is, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, for I'm going to get really personal. Um, for me, my, my wife and I adopted two girls from the foster system six and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I remember you these, talking about these that. Girls, these girls would be with their mother had she had a program like this. Now, I love, I love my girls. Don't get me. But you want to stop it. Correct. You would prefer that you love your girls, but you would have preferred that they be with their mother. That's correct. That's touching. That truly is. So this, you have done all the hard work. You've got to finish the last bit of the journey, which is where, where did these dollars go? Right. And this could be a really fun season for you guys. It it really can be. And I appreciate, I really appreciate your insight. I knew the dynamic duo would have an answer for me. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks Barbara. And it's, and by the way, it's, it's not easy, Barbara. Giving away giving away money is not easy. Giving away money is easy. Giving away money effectively is not yeah. easy. That's very true. That's very true because um, you know if you look at the nine ninety sometimes about yeah. what these charitable people make and things, and sometimes it, it's you know like they kind of miss the mission with the money. I I don't know. Oh, many yeah. profits nonprofits turn into for profit of employee, and you're not interested in that. Yeah. But you well, might want to just start with somewhere in your local community, like similar to with my my wife and I are involved in something that's near and dear to something you've got a connection with that lines up with your values and that sort of thing. I think it could be a great season for you. Well, so, and great job, great glad, great service. Glad you called, Barbara. Money's a funny thing, isn't it, Pat? Oh, <laughs> it's a funny thing. <laughs> oh, my my wife and I go back and forth about uh, our giving. I've never met anyone who has enough. Well, maybe Barbara does, <laughs> but but most people, and she got to this point because. She, Concerned about the future and that sort of thing. That's yes. It's just a funny thing. And then some people choose to go buy a. Um, I saw a Rolls Royce SUV in Tahoe last week, and I thought, which is a very strange place. If anyone's been to Tahoe, it is so down to earth. You you could be at a. I mean, people wear shorts and flip flops, and nobody cares what anyone looks like, and doesn't matter. Rolls Royce SUV. Rolls Royce SUV. What are you in Beverly Hills? I don't know. What are they, I don't know. Half a million bucks or something. I mean, I, like that. That's one way oh, you can spend gonna a go dollar. Off Maybe it was Zuckerberg. I don't know. They're gonna go off road. Yeah. <laughs> and the skis on the top. <laughs> go on. But was it lifted? I don't know. I, didn't, I just remember thinking. What in the world? I, and I thought to myself, I hope I don't see too many cars like this in the future in this part of the part of the world. But anyway, hey, we've got a fun guest uh, joining us right now, uh, Carl Peterson. And just a little background, uh, Allworth, we've got a division of Allworth called RAA that works with pilots. We've got about, I don't know, 
3,000 pilots as clients, maybe 4,000 pilots, something like that. Carl would probably know. Uh, a lot of retired clients, a lot of um, <laughs> existing clients. And Carl is uh, our director of business development within our Delta Airlines program for RAA. And he's been part of our organization for, I don't know, seven or eight years. And he's a, currently a uh, captain for A330, Airbus 330 for Delta. And, but he's also <laughs> a securities license because he's also in the business. He was an uh, F-16 fighter pilot back in the day with the U.S. Air Force. Flew 35 combat story, sorties over uh, during Operation Desert Storm days. And um, Carl, thanks for taking some time to join us today. Oh, you bet. Thank you, you guys. This is great to be here. So you started <laughs> out as a pilot. But in the there's one to have you on here because you've been in a career that has gone through some ups oh, and downs, and you've had to navigate your retirement in the great times and the bad times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well said, Scott. Yeah, it, it's been. I've been here 32 years at Delta, eight years in the Air Force prior to that. Um, it's always been volatile. Ever since deregulation started in like 70s, it really sort of took off. Uh, we had great pensions. And then eventually the, the bankruptcies, the 9-11s, you know, COVID, different things always seem to affect the airline industry, just like <laughs> yeah, anything else. Right. But, <laughs> yeah, um, Who would have thought COVID would be like a, some uh, global pandemic would ground all the airlines? It, Exactly. I remember we were flying, you know, um, like across the North Atlantic. I fly international mostly. And, well, it's going great. Great contract. Life is good. What could, what could possibly happen, you know? And uh, COVID happened. But anyways, uh, we adapt very quickly. Can uh, I what, ask you a I question, Carl? Carl can, yeah. When uh -huh. I fly internationally, I've only heard <laughs> one pilot come on and just he, – he was amazed by the fact that we could start the day in Amsterdam and finish it uh -huh. in San Francisco. The pilot? The pilot. Still was. Yeah, still. Like, I love that kind of attitude. Like, yeah. like, like, That's like, the kind of guy you went flying. Like so he had, excited about like it. Like he had never seen it before. And I'm, I'm always amazed by – like people – they're complaining about air travel. And then I say, well, you yeah. know, a hundred years ago, it would have taken us three years to get to Amsterdam. You know that, right? Yeah. And, and Scott I, and Pat, I am that kind of guy. I just uh, flew from Paris back to Seattle a couple of days ago. And I actually said, uh, we've been flying back and forth across the North Atlantic for a few days. And we're actually leaving on time, getting there on time. Happens a lot. We do it a lot. But I did say, isn't that amazing the moving parts we have here? Uh, the flight attendants are doing an incredible job. The mechanics, we had a couple, you know, minor things. Uh, folks coming on from different jets, connecting with different jets. And we're watching all this. And all these, I mean, we're talking thousands of little pieces all happening. And the engine's starting. And, you know, we're pushing down, going down the end of the runway there and taking off. I go, I did say something to the effect before the takeoff. But this is amazing that, this, that we do this day in and day out, thousands of flights with all the major airlines um, safely. And it's rather something to behold. And you guys are absolutely right. Um, it's mind-boggling it, it to me. It is, it's fantastic. It is, happens. It so it your flights really happens to vague 20 minutes and people complaining. You're like, relax, pal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Listen, one, the pilot wants to get this. A little late due to, due, due to weather. And there's nothing we can do about the weather. So, but, Carl, uh, we do the best. How did, you get, how did you get involved in the, in the financial planning industry? As a pilot. Oh, this, that's a good question, Pat. Okay, very good. So um, I'm part of the – now there's been several furloughs throughout the airline industry. I mean, going back to the 80s with Brand F Eastern, then Delta American United. We've all had our furloughs. So I was one of the first furlough groups in the mid-'90s. So I get furloughed by Deltas. No, And this was – was, was this as a result of 9-11? Nope. This was prior to 9-11. This was 94 and 96. Oh, 90s. Negotiations with the – Union, probably surplus pilots for a little while there. But 
um, yeah, my mom was always like, now how you can be, how can you be furloughed? You were an F-16 guy from Desert Storm. I go, mom, they don't care. They, <laughs> they furloughed the bottom 500 guys and I'm number 497. And it's all union, so, right? hundred percent. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all seniority. And, anyways, and, and the, the union was fantastic. I did a lot of support during that time. I did a lot of volunteer work with the union that led to part of what I'm about to tell you. But I do remember going into collecting un- the collect unemployment in the office there in, in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and go in and they, they have you take aptitude tests. And I go, man, I haven't done this stuff since high school. Let, let's see what comes out. I'm sure it'll come out pilot, you know? And the guy comes, he goes, you you come across as a financial planner? I go, no, 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 no. I'm an <laughs> airline pilot for uh, Delta, and I was Air Force prior to that. So isn't there a column for pilot that I need to go find, find a flying job? He goes, no. You're strong for financial planning. You have a strong like. Yeah, I've always been into this. I'm very interested. He he goes, yeah, I'd really work on a Series 65, and I never heard the word, you know. So I proceeded to finish up my master's um, in uh, systems management, get my Series 65. And the Series 65 is for fee-based investment advisors, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then commission brokers. Exactly. And what, like we are. And it all led to AFS, to RAA, to all work. And uh, make a long story short, I'm very glad to be here. Very glad on that day. That was 25 years ago. So, yeah, very nice that um, I'm here talking to you guys now. And I, and I love it. Day and so, in and day out, I just so, so talked to some clients today. When, yeah. when you're in the cockpit with other pilots, mm-hmm. and, and they're old and they're young, right? But if you're flying internationally, it's probably mostly older pilots, is my guess. Yeah, but we're, we're trying to get a lot of young ones with the, the new hires. But you're right. Typically, it's a little bit older my crowd, but we're trying to get a lot of young pilots now. Yeah. And what are they? What are they? Are they good savers? What do they worry about? Because you're in an industry where like, yes. stuff comes out of the blue, right? 9 11, right. boom. COVID, boom, yes. right? Um, who knows yes. what's going to be next? Do people, do they become different types of savers because? they understand the history of the industry you're in or do they just uh-huh. they hope just, for the best? I hope pilots never hope for the best. <laughs> There's no, yeah, no, nobody hopes for the best. Well said, Scott. What I find is some of it's different generational, maybe a boomer and a millennial might look at things different, but it's almost what, how you've been affected and it's definitely behavioral. What I find is I go through this process with them and I bring on board some of our strengths and what we have to offer going through all the different planning aspects, I, I go, really, I start to you know, mention peace of mind. What I, I think I can offer you here with Allworth is peace of mind. And, and they start to realize, well, I feel bad. You know, I'm a pilot, and I should be able to do this, too. And I, and I say this day in and day out. I go, isn't pilot enough? I mean, my gosh, you guys, you've worked your butt off to get to where you are. It's, uh, we maintain currency. We go to uh, the simulators every nine months to a year. It's very intense. Um, the training is incredibly good, very thorough. And you have a really high-quality group of pilots at all these major airlines. And it's really something neat to behold. But at the same time, I always tell them, I expect nothing on you with financial planning because we used to have a defined benefit. And yeah, you could relax. Take that would take. Yeah, there was the like pension. I mean, the ideal the, the ideal yeah. was you retire from the as a captain, and you have a massive pension, right? A couple hundred thousand it was a year. The best three, uh, the last ten, and all that. Different airlines had different things, but yeah. yeah. Well, that yeah. was that was so, that was part of the deregulation, which actually caused the bankruptcies of the because of the pension. <laughs> like, yeah, if you go right. back and and look <laughs> yeah. at the history of the industries that were deregulated. Uh, you look at the telecom. It's pretty expensive to fly, relatively. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. You go yes. to the telecom yes. and then down. airlines yeah. uh, under the Reagan administration, if I recall. 
uh, were deregulated. Mm-hmm. A lot of in 2005, yeah. When? When? 2007. We, how often mm-hmm. do you, uh, like, you're obviously a high-energy guy, and, and being <laughs> yeah. around Carl, you would say, okay, well. This, this is true. This it, is true. <laughs> I don't know how the guy could. He's got two jobs. Yeah, I don't know how he could sit <laughs> yeah. in a cockpit. How many hours a month do you fly, and how many hours a month do you actually work as a financial <laughs> yeah. advisor? I, I, I'm a regular guy, so I, I fly 80 hours a month. And um, sometimes a little bit less if I have vacation, a little bit more, you know, but I'm not a big, uh, I don't go on and pick up extra time because I, I, I love working here. It's all worth an RAA. So I do a lot of work here too. So then I would say RAA probably 30 to 40 hours a week. Got so I, I do, yeah, and, and I do that mostly from home, but I do from the cockpit. I just uh, brought on two of my co-pilots are coming on board next week that I just flew with over a six-day period. And it's making a long story short, sometimes it'll take a decade to bring on a client. Sometimes uh, we just went to Oshkosh. We had a booth there. It was fantastic. I'm very lucky to be part of those air shows. And I uh, just signed up a guy from there, too. So we get to some exposure in the cockpit, um, LinkedIn. Well, I think it's, it's, it's interesting, Carl. It's like, yeah. I, I actually, early this morning, I, was, I write a column uh, every two weeks for a publication called Investment News. And this morning, I was talking about something, yeah, I love it. something the effect of, of doing, and it's you, if you're outside the industry, it's not really you wouldn't get much out of it. But I, I was t- I was writing something today, and I was just talking about uh, the value we bring because it's to other advisors. The value we bring to people's lives, and yes. like, and I think people look at this industry. So well, some of those guys are paid pretty well, and I and, and that that is mm-hmm. that is true. It's very difficult. It's not an easy business, number one. But the mm-hmm. the cost and I was something in my article. Something that like. The mistakes we keep people from and the mm-hmm. costs yeah. of bad advice or poor choices yeah. is astronomical com- it's com- completely and, and compared to what guy. you pay for an advice. And the gal that I just flew with, uh, I just signed him up. And I went, you know, the big point is when you, your car breaks down, do you go really? I mean, maybe I used to work on my cars, but nowadays I want to take it to an expert. If my AC goes out, I want an expert. If I need financial planning, I want an expert. That's a- I mean, and I sort of expressive because really it's so complicated now there's so many different moving parts why not have a group like this where we do this the estate planning the retirement planning the investment planning the tax planning and the key word i always think to all those things is what word stood out planning i go whether i'm flying with a 35 year old fo copilot or a 62 year old so planning is the key to all this into retirement with us, yeah, and so and so when Carl mentions uh, RAA, that's a division of Allworth, and Carl's a, yeah, the a, airline a, division a, of Allworth, yeah, that yeah. works with uh, pilots, and we actually look for people like Carl that are pilots that have uh, a natural affinity f- for for yeah. financial advice, and as long as they're qualified, um, and he gives great advice to his clients. So you know, it's it, interesting thing about what I've dis- discovered with with your industry, Carl, is that. You work so you work for Delta Airlines, and mm-hmm. the union you've got seniority with Delta. So you've been there how many mm-hmm. years? You say with Delta, thirty-two. Thirty-two Just years. The other day. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you there was no way you would go. You would leave Delta and go work for United. No, because you would start and, and at and the I, bottom of the. I pole, love right? United, and and it's a system. Uh, there might be points where people at the beginning there are some folks right now with the pilot shortage. It's a whole other subject. Can b- bump around from an airline to another that first year or two because you're giving up a little bit of seniority. But once you but get it's, out, it's you not know, like that in most professions. Most no, professions, you could jump over to yeah. Exactly. I mean, you're highly you're a highly you're a skilled doctor. professional, right? 
as a pilot. Yeah. Most highly mm-hmm. skilled professions, you can, if you're not yes. happy with your employer, you just go to another employer. Yeah. And if you're not happy with them, you. Yeah. It's a unique, it's a unique industry. It, it, it very is. And you're saying that well. And so you make the best of it. And I go, that's where I think we come in. I go, the one thing you do have with these different airlines is a great 401k investment all planning. Right. By all words, and I go. Let's you know. So I bring in an American Delta United, oh. FedEx, Spirit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And Carl, Carl, um, I have a couple questions about being a pilot. So we talked about the financial. By the way, aspect. my son's in yeah United Airlines flight program in in, in yeah, Phoenix yeah. here. In part because of you, yeah, you've I, talked I, him I into on the earlier Scott, you know, last year, and I remember that hearing that. So he he updated me once since we talked. But okay. So congratulations. I, he doesn't call that. me much either. So don't. So I have a couple questions. <laughs> Have you ever had to uh, police uh, when you land, police at the gate in order to escort someone off the plane? Have you ever been a pilot? Uh, yes, yes, I have. And how many times? <laughs> oh, not many. <laughs> we're it's, we're it's, gonna talk about financial stuff, and here you're three. talking, Carl, about the industry. This is what people are interested yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, they are. It, it's and it's very, very rare. Um, and it tends to be medical. I mean, it's usually not escorted because they want to be. It's like something medically happens. So we either divert, land quickly, have no, everybody. No, but but law well. enforcement, not uh, not not medical law enforcement. Have you had I that? Had, yeah, I've had a dr- where somebody's had a little bit too much to drink is where we let. Uh, I've had a little, couple okay. people let go early. Yeah. Okay. In the flight. And, and, yeah. and then mm-hmm. the, another question. So I know this is a financial, but th- these are questions that Scott. People really want. They really want to know. We're talking to a guy that's pretty open about it. He's been a pilot for thirty-two <laughs> years. He's probably seen everything. What's the worst part about being a pilot? Is it waiting for the plane to take off? Is it the airport? Is it what's the hmm. worst part? There's nothing really bad. You can tell I'm a mentor of a lot of pilots, and I, I write the new hire letters you know, all the time. Get folks on, so I'm a pro pilot kind of guy. There's nothing bad. Maybe commuting sometimes. I live in Tucson and commute to Seattle. I go, maybe some of the, the stress of commuting is hard, but at the end of the day, you have the jump seat, which I worked a lot on the jump seat committee with Alpha to make sure it works the way it does now. We have a very good system with Delta and American United. They, we all have – Where you get to actually – I would say that's a little bit of a stressor, but other than that – Were really, you deadhead – you're allowed to deadhead on someone else's – another airline right, to get to where – a lot. So okay, and then know, the last question. I'm, we only have a couple minutes. Actually, we're out of time. We're out of time, Carl. Yeah, I know, I can talk to you guys All right, we're going to have to back it. We're just going to do a podcast on what it's like to be a pilot. Well, so. I think we do have a uh, – There's a. we do have a podcast. For pilots. For pilots. I don't know. Are you on that one, Carl? <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, I'm pilot, one, the pilot to pilot one? I've done one of those, one, two. This is my my third one, so well, you're getting know, better. Keep yeah, at it, Carl. Yeah, right. A little more practice. Right. We we appreciate you being on the the program. Thanks for being part of the All Worth. Yeah, we appreciate it. You guys are fantastic. Looking forward to seeing you again. Thanks, Thank Carl. you very much. All right. Yeah. All right, so, hey, we're we're out of time. Want to let uh, everyone know that we've got a, a a social security workshop, a live social security workshop. That's the five steps to unlocking social security. And essentially in two major markets, in the Sacramento area on Saturday, August 26th, and the Cincinnati area on Thursday, August 24th. And for more information, go to allworth.com forward slash workshops. We're out of time. We'll see you next week. This has been Allworth's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.